Have you ever been around people who just do like really stupid stuff? Like, I don't know, maybe it was your kids. Maybe you walked in on one of your kids, like drawing on the walls with markers. Or maybe you walked in on your teenage boys trying to see who could slap each other in the face the hardest. Or God forbid, maybe you turned around to see somebody putting ketchup on their pizza. I remember one time working at my last church, I walked into our youth room to find a bunch of preteens who had tipped up the sofa on its side and were pushing it down while trying to see if they could run under it without getting crushed. I feel like in moments like this, it's just best to walk away slowly and pretend like you didn't see anything. I mean, some people are just hopeless. And I had that thought when I was reading the Bible the other day. You see, time and time again, Jesus had to correct his disciples. Oftentimes, he would make things so painfully obvious to them, but they still never got it. I mean, one time, for example, they witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 people, a miracle. And then a couple of chapters later, they have a crowd of like 4,000 people. And the disciples are like, hmm, I wonder how we can feed this many people. Like, come on, so obvious. Peter was one of those guys who just didn't get it. One time Jesus was talking about how it was God's plan for him to die on the cross. And he straight up tells Jesus off. Oh, Peter's probably not a good idea to tell Jesus that he's wrong. And when Jesus made it so obvious that it was his plan to be crucified, Peter still tried to attack the men who were arresting Jesus. He ends up cutting off one of their ears. Jesus was constantly having to explain and re-explain his teachings to the disciples, and oftentimes they still didn't get it. And I've been thinking a lot about that. I mean, think about it. Why did Jesus need the 12 disciples? I mean, sometimes I look at how much time he had to spend over explaining things to them, and I think, Jesus, maybe you could have gotten a lot more done without them. I mean, especially considering the fact that, you know, he's Jesus. It honestly just seems like the disciples slowed him down in many ways. And yet, for some reason, Jesus saw it as necessary to have disciples, even beneficial, more beneficial than if he did it on his own. In fact, Jesus once said this, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus, it's for your good. Jesus is leaving and he's going to put these bozos in charge. I mean, how is that any better? Wouldn't it have just been easier for Jesus to bring people to Christ himself? Think about it. He could have gone from town to town preaching and he would leave behind an army of new Christians. I mean, why spend so much time on the disciples? Why did he choose to use people? And why does he choose to use us, the church? Well, you see, it all comes down to this idea of discipleship. Discipleship is just a fancy word for making followers of Jesus, bringing people to Christ and helping them grow in their faith. Now we see this in a verse in Matthew called the Great Commission where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he's gathered his disciples around for one last message. And he says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we read that verse, we typically see it as a call to evangelism, you know, sharing your faith with the world around you. But it's so much more than that. You see, making disciples doesn't end when you say a prayer. No, it's a journey of walking alongside someone in their faith. Jesus spent three years with the disciples, training them in what it means to follow Jesus. He didn't say, say this prayer and then move on. No, no, he brought them into his life and he showed them the ropes. And then he commissioned them to go out and do the same. But why? I mean, why was that so important? Why was that better than if Jesus stayed? Well, hear me out. 
It's because spending time discipling is the best growth strategy there is. Far better than if Jesus did everything himself. Don't believe me? Let me show you. Now, let's say I do that every single day for a year. I mean, I'm pretty sure I would get an award or something, right? Let's think, how many people is that? 365 days in a year, one person per day, great job. 365 people. You could just write that down somewhere. Bringing one person to faith every day, 365 in one year. Now, let's say I did the same thing every year for 20 years. I bring somebody to faith every day for 20 years in a row. Well, what's 20 multiplied by 365? Good job, 7,300. Just pretend you did that in your head. You can write that down somewhere as well. Write down bringing one person to faith every day for 20 years, 7,300 people. That's a lot of people. And I did all of that by myself. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. But did you know there's actually a more effective way? And what if I told you that I could actually reach more people by bringing only one person to faith a year? And it all has to do with this little thing called exponential growth. Let's think, what's the problem with the first method? Well, the problem is that it's all on me. I swing through town every day. I tell somebody about Jesus and then I dip. They've accepted Jesus into their life and then I've just kind of left them to figure it out on their own. See you later, I'm off to my next one. All I've done is really gotten them to say a prayer and give their life to God. Now that's great, but I haven't really shown them what it means to follow Jesus and how to do that in their life. So instead, in this new method, let's say I bring somebody to faith but I spend an entire year helping them grow in their faith. And let's say that I get them to the point where they can do the same thing for somebody else. So sure, in year one, I'm a little behind. I'm just that one person. You can just write that down somewhere. Discipling one person a year to do the same, just write one per year. But now there's two of us. And next year, there'll be four of us. And then eight of us and so on and so on. Guess how many there'll be by year 20? It's not 7,300. It's actually over a million 1,048,576 to be exact. Now write that down somewhere. 1,048,576 in 20 years. That's a lot more effective. And it's actually a lot more realistic. I don't know about you, but helping someone grow in their faith sounds a lot more achievable than bringing 365 people to Christ every single year. This is what discipleship does. We're not called to just make disciples. We're called to make disciples that make disciples. This is what made the early church just explode. And this is why Jesus spent so much time with his disciples. He did life with them. This is why following Jesus isn't just a solo experience. And this is why we need to do life with others. Because if we don't, we're not really reaching anyone and we're producing really shallow Christians. This is why Paul instructs his protege, Timothy, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will pass them on to others, making disciples who make disciples. Now, the only way you make disciples who make disciples is by discipling them, by doing life with them, not just coming to church once a week and leaving without talking to anybody. So if following Jesus isn't a solo experience, but it means doing life with others, then what are the types of people I need in my life to be an effective follower of Jesus? Well, today I wanna to outline the three types of people from the Bible who you need in your life if you wanna be a good disciple and if you wanna make good disciples. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. I need a Paul in my life. I need a Paul in my life. Now, let me tell you about a man named Timothy for a moment. Timothy was a young pastor in the ancient city of Ephesus. 
Now, Ephesus was a very pagan city. It actually housed the Temple of Artemis, where people from all over the Roman Empire would come to worship the Greek goddess. Now, Timothy had his work cut out for him, but he made the smart decision to not do it alone. Instead, he positioned himself under Paul. Paul was a veteran church planter and apostle. See, for Timothy, instead of trying to figure it out on his own, he chose to look to those who had gone before him for advice and for counsel. For Timothy, Paul was a mentor, someone who showed him the ropes, taught and modeled what it meant to follow Jesus and make other disciples. If you're taking notes, write this down. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. Now, this is a type of relationship that we all need in our lives. Now, we know that Timothy experienced many challenges in his role as a pastor, and without Paul there to guide him, he wouldn't have been able to overcome many of them. There's a saying that goes, it's important to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from other people's mistakes. But oftentimes we try to brute force our challenges in life without realizing that the church exists to help us get through life together. If you're facing a brick wall in your life or your spiritual walk, we have so many people within our church who have gone before you and can help you get through it. But our world puts such an emphasis on being a self-starter and not relying on anyone. That's foolish. See, there's so much value to having a Paul in your life. What are some of the benefits to having a Paul in your life? If you're taking notes, write this down. Mentors encourage us. Mentors encourage us. Now, we know that Timothy faced some discouragement in life. We know this because of how much Paul had to encourage him in his letters. Clearly, Timothy was facing some discrimination because of his age. People weren't taking him seriously because he was young. And honestly, it's something that could have wrecked Timothy. Discouraged, defeated, ready to quit. But Paul comes alongside Timothy and he says this. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. See, where discouragement like this could have made Timothy give up, Paul was able to come alongside him and inspire him to say, don't listen to those people. In fact, prove them wrong. Set an example for them. He says, I see something in you. Let me tell you, the power of someone older than you coming alongside and saying, I see potential in you and you'll get through this. I mean, it does more than you could ever imagine. There's been so many times in my life and faith where I've wanted to quit, give up, throw in the towel. But because of the mentors in my life coming alongside me and encouraging me, I pushed through and I'm better off for it. But that's not all. If you're taking notes, mentors guide us. Mentors guide us. Now, this is perhaps the biggest benefit to having a mentor. As a young person or someone who's new to your faith, when we're faced with a difficult decision and we don't know what to do, having a mentor is invaluable. In fact, most of Paul's letters to Timothy is just him instructing him on different situations. Going to someone who's older or farther along in your faith for advice can help you avoid some huge mistakes in your own life. There's been so many times in my life that I've been stuck at a roadblock, a tough situation that I didn't know what to do, or a difficult conversation that I didn't know how to approach. And the times that I go to others for advice, I'm always better off for it. But so often we just do it on our own. So I want to ask you today, who's the Paul in your life? Who in your life are you positioning yourself under to receive guidance, encouragement, and correction? We all need a mentor. We all need a Paul. But also, we all need the second type of person. 
If you're taking notes, I need a Barnabas in my life. Who is Barnabas? Well, when Paul was first starting out in his faith, Barnabas was a key player in his life and throughout many of Paul's missionary journeys. Paul and Barnabas were thicker than blood. They spent years together ministering to people across the Roman Empire, planting churches together, facing persecution together, telling people about Jesus. They were close friends and they needed each other. If you're taking notes, write this down. Barnabas was a peer to Paul. Now, when I say peer, I don't just mean acquaintance. I mean someone who is in it with you, co-laborers, an ally. Similar to a mentor, a peer is somebody who encourages you and challenges you in your faith, but they're somebody who you do life with a bit closer, and they're generally at the same stage of life as you. They're someone that you do life with and follow Jesus alongside of, even serve alongside of them. And it's through this mutual teamwork that you grow closer to God and each other. If you're taking notes, write this down, peers support us. Paul and Barnabas were set apart by the Holy Spirit to go on missionary journeys together, and they spent years working together. They realized that they were better together, strengthening each other in their resolve in ministry. In fact, we see this in Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas encounter a group of people who taught that you needed Jesus plus the law in order to be saved. And it was together that Paul and Barnabas opposed this false teaching. You see, when we work alongside others in following Jesus, we're better off for it. My best friend and I, we used to meet up every single week to keep each other accountable, talk about life, and pray and worship God together. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think I could have gotten through many of the tough years in my life. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And it's so true. But not only that, if you're taking notes, write this down. Peers stand with us. Paul's life before coming to Christ was questionable. In fact, he was one of the biggest opponents to the cause of Christ. He actually used to persecute the church. So all of a sudden, when Paul is claiming that he follows Jesus now, the other disciples are understandably skeptical. The Bible says this, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, whose Paul's name used to be Saul, Saul on his missionary journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly the name of the Lord. See, if it wasn't for Barnabas vouching for Paul, he may not have been able to join the disciples. But Barnabas put his own reputation on the line for Paul. He stood with him when others wouldn't. In life, we need peers who stand with us through life's challenges. We need a Barnabas. We need someone who's there to support us, to go through the difficulties of life. But more importantly, we actually need to be a Barnabas to others. We need to be willing to stand with our peers when they go through difficulties. Now, if you don't have a Barnabas or this type of community in your life, what steps are you taking to get it? I mean, are you just slipping in and out of church services without getting to know anyone? Are you in a community group? Are you serving in a ministry? Because it's in these settings that we see these types of relationships form. So who's the Barnabas in your life? Who in your life are you following Jesus with? Who in your life are you serving alongside of? Who in your life are you standing beside and supporting through life's challenges? Now, these are the easy relationships, right? We all know that we should have friends and people we look up to, that's obvious. But this next one's actually not so obvious and not many of us actually do it. If you're taking notes, write this down. 
I need a Timothy in my life. I need a Timothy in my life. That's right, while we all need a Paul in our life, we also all need to be a Paul to all the Timothys out there. This is what go and make disciples is actually all about. We need to be coming alongside others who are younger in their faith and doing life with them, helping them take the next steps in their faith. Think about it, Paul was a superstar. He was well-known, well-liked. He could have just stuck with what was working. He could have just focused on himself, on building his own brand, on building his own faith. But Paul realized something that we oftentimes don't, that it's not just about our faith, it's about other people's faith as well. And Paul intentionally chose to mentor and disciple Timothy. See, we aren't called to just follow Jesus. We're called to make disciples who follow Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul did for Timothy. If you're taking notes, Timothy was a protege. Timothy was a protege. While we all recognize the importance of having a strong community of peers and mentors in our life, we often don't think about who we're pouring into. Do you realize that all of the benefits that you receive from having a mentor in your life, you can actually give to someone else by becoming a mentor to them? That just as you need people pouring into you, you also need to be pouring into others. And on Next Generation Sunday, this is the one that I wanna hone in on. This is the one that I would like to challenge you with today. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the people in my life who poured into me, that came alongside me and helped me in my faith. This is so essential to our faith. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time and you haven't thought about this before, you're actually missing out on what it actually means to follow Jesus and you're actually stagnating your own faith. This is what we're called to do by Jesus. And by not doing this, we're actually robbing others of quality mentors in their life and we're robbing ourselves of a vibrant faith in Jesus. What do I mean? Well, recently I actually got the opportunity to go to Israel and it was honestly incredible. Israel is amazing and beautiful. And actually, if you didn't know, Pastor Darren is doing another trip to Israel in spring of 2023. So you should definitely sign up. Now, if you didn't know, in Israel, there are two seas. Now, really, they're both kind of like lakes, but they're called seas. There's the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And listen, they cannot be more different. The Sea of Galilee is this lush, beautiful lake teeming with life and sea critters. It's honestly gorgeous. And just south of the Sea of Galilee is the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea actually sits over 400 meters below sea level. And its salt content is 10 times saltier than the ocean. You can actually float on its surface. Also, I discovered that if you didn't know that if you had any cuts on your body before you went in, you'll definitely know once you're in there because the salt just burns it. I also discovered that if you have a rash on your leg, it'll feel like your leg is disintegrating. Not fun. But why is the Dead Sea so salty? Well, it's because it's so low, all of the water that comes in from the Jordan River gets stuck in the sea and it has no exit. And all of this water and rainfall brings with it a bunch of salt. And since the water has nowhere to go, the salt just builds up and it builds up and nothing can live there anymore. The sea is actually dying because all the water that's in it gets evaporated, leaving even more salt in its place. Now, experts say that the sea could fully be gone by the year 2050. You see, without an outflow, the salt builds up and it actually kills all life in it. And then there's the Sea of Galilee which not only is filled by the Jordan River, but it flows from the sea as well. There's this constant flow of filling and flowing. And as a result, it's full of life. And in your life, you could be like the Sea of Galilee 
or you can be like the Dead Sea. You can pour into others as they pour into you, or you can just get filled and filled and filled all for yourself, but never pour into others, and as a result, stagnate your faith. If you're taking notes, being a mentor keeps our faith alive. We need people pouring into us, but we also need to be pouring into others. Our faith is a personal faith, but it should not be an isolated faith. And as we saw by Jesus' example, being a follower of Jesus involves doing life with others, pouring into other people as they pour into us. And it's no wonder that when we just focus on ourselves, our faith feels dull and lifeless because we're not doing what Jesus told us to. Paul actually instructed Titus to teach others. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're also to teach what is good and so train the young women. See, Paul doesn't stop with the older women should be reverent in behavior. No, he also includes that they're supposed to pass that along to the younger generation. According to Paul, following Jesus is helping others follow Jesus. It's what keeps our faith alive. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, if I get around to it or if I have time, it is a command. Jesus says, go and make disciples. What are you doing today to honor Jesus's call on your life? If we don't, we're like the Dead Sea, taking and taking, and it's killing our faith. But that's not all. If you're taking notes, being a mentor keeps our church alive. Now, it doesn't take much thinking to realize that if we're not raising up others and discipling the next generation, that the church will die. And Broadway Church is not immune to this. Young people are leaving the church faster than ever. I see it happen every single day. And if we're not helping young people get plugged into the life of the church, one day there won't be a church. Now, the good news is that my role as a youth pastor, I get to see an amazing group of young people who are sticking with their faith. But you know what sets them apart? See, the common denominator among the students who stick with their faith after graduation is that someone in the church is doing life with them. Preaching a really great sermon isn't going to keep them, but knowing that you're pouring into them will. When I see students step away from church and God, it's usually the ones that weren't plugged in or they didn't have strong role models or mentors in their lives. There was nothing keeping them in the church, so they left. There was no one helping them get through life's difficulties, so they left. There was no one willing to walk with them through their doubts of God, so they left. This is way more important than you may realize. And that's why I'm so proud of our youth team and our next generation team and all they do to help raise up the next generation. But as Jesus once said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We can't do it alone. And that's why I'm asking you, Broadway Church, to look at your life and to see who in your life you can mentor, who in your life can be a Timothy to you, who can you pass your faith on to? Maybe it's your son or your daughter. Maybe it's a younger sibling. Maybe it's a friend who's new to their faith. Maybe it's being a kids ministry volunteer or a youth leader. Whatever it is, I wanna challenge you to keep the next generation on your heart and in your prayers. It will help keep your faith alive and it will help keep our church alive. Listen, young people are looking for role models. And if it's not the church, it will be their friends. It will be what they see on social media. It will be what they watch in movies. And I don't know about you, but a whole generation of young people being shaped and modeled by social media terrifies me. Why not choose today to come alongside the next generation and be a mentor? I'm here today because someone did that for me. You never know the impact that you'll make. 
This is what making disciples is all about. We pass on what's been passed on to us. So on your outline, I've actually left a spot for you to fill in. Reflect on your own life and ask the question, who is my Paul? Who is my Barnabas? And perhaps most importantly, who is my Timothy? And all of this brings me to the big idea of today, where we sum up today's teaching in one simple phrase. This is the big idea. Following Jesus involves learning from those who've gone before us, living life with those around us, and leading those who are coming up behind us. This is what Jesus means when he says, make disciples of all nations. This is my challenge for you today. And remember, following Jesus is not a solo journey. It's not a once a week on a Sunday journey. It's so much greater than that. So bring other people along, join a small group, sign up to volunteer. You will see God move in your life, guaranteed. As we close off today, I wanted to give an opportunity for anyone here who's never before made a decision to follow Jesus, that opportunity today. If you're here, maybe you're watching wherever you're at and you feel the presence of God, you feel the stirring in your heart to follow Jesus, I wanna lead you in a simple, short prayer you don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your mind or under your breath. But repeat after me. Say, God, I have messed up. I've sinned. I've turned my own way and I've done my own thing. I don't deserve your love. I can never earn your love. But today I choose to accept this gift of forgiveness that you offer me. I choose to turn away from my sin and I choose to follow you. I know I won't be perfect, but I know that I'm a child of God. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. And God, for every other person listening today, I pray that we would be people who raise up the next generation, who are intentional about being mentors and pouring into those who are coming up behind us. We thank you for every single person, whether they're a teacher or a parent, somebody who is pouring into the next generation. God, would you bless them and help them in their responsibility and role as a mentor. We pray this all in your name, amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, or if you need prayer for anything at all, you can text the number on the screen and a pastor will connect with you very shortly. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you about what your next steps are in your faith. Well, thank you so much for joining us at Church Online today. We hope you have an amazing week. God bless.